1-1 to JBJ. Swinging a high drive to right field. Reddick going back. Back to the warning track. This ball is going, and it is gone! A grand slam for Jackie Bradley Jr. And the Red Sox have broken it open. They lead it 8-2. Can you believe it? Ground ball makes it. Machado comes to the plate. Everyone, welcome to In the Game. I'm your host, Luke Shakota. Thank you very much for joining us. Here's what we have for you on the show today. We will discuss some baseball. We will get into this Nick Bosa story of the Ohio State Buckeyes, who is now leaving Ohio State. We'll get into that a little bit later on. We have some NBA opening week news, and later on in the show. I will play an interview that I had yesterday with an NHL columnist and play-by-play guy. His name is Cristiano Simonetta. He and I work together for Illini Hockey. Very much looking forward to having you guys hear that. But that's what we have for you on the show today. And if you would like to discuss all the topics that we will be having today, you can do so on on our Twitter page at InTheGameShow. You can post your comments questions, anything you want to talk about concerning the topics. So let's dive right into it. Yes, one of the one of the finalists in the World Series has been decided. The Boston Red Sox have defeated the Houston Astros in five games. And David Price finally finally shed the skin or got rid of the curse, if you will, concerning his playoff performances. He has he was he was very, very good. He was very good yesterday in Game Five against the Astros. He he put together six six innings. I believe he only gave up one run. I have to double check that. But you know, David Price coming into this postseason was he was looked at as a little bit of an afterthought in terms of whether or not he would be able to perform in the playoffs. The only time he was ever ever able to perform was around the 2007-2008, I believe, with the Tampa Bay Rays when he was a pitcher there. And since then, he hasn't performed at really any point since he's been in the postseason. But he was able to score the Red Sox another win, and they advanced to the World Series. I got to tell you, with that particular World Series, or with that, that particular ALCS, I should say, there was a lot to talk about, and more more specifically, I want to talk about how good this Boston Red Sox team is defensively, particularly with the outfield. Jackie Bradley Jr., Andrew Benatendi, and Mookie Betts were just dynamite. They were absolutely dynamite. What the the going trend in Major League Baseball concerns two words, and that is launch angle. Launch angle is everything in baseball now because it comes down to a very simple concept in that the infield, that somewhat large play of of dirt that is covered by four people or really five if you include the pitcher, that is going to be the part where offense just doesn't shine. It doesn't show itself. But when you talk about that big giant area of grass in the outfield that is only covered by three guys three guys it is very important 
to get that ball into that big pile of grass. Just to make contact, get it out into that grass, whether it is a pop-out or it's going to be a ground ball base hit or it's going to be a home run. You got to get that launch angle. Be guys like Christian Yelich and and Chris Bryant and Bryce Harper who just lift the ball out of the park. And yes, launch angle is mainly about home runs, but it's not just home runs. It's about just getting the ball out there into that big, big field of grass and just to make sure that that ball ends up in that area. But it seems whether it be intentionally or unintentionally, the Boston Red Sox are going a step ahead of that in terms of trying to counter it defensively. And when they have guys that are just great outfielders in Benatendi, Bradley Jr., and Betts, who just make spectacular diving catches, leaping up over walls, and are possibly getting interfered by fans like we saw in this ALCS They are robbing teams. They have robbed teams all year. And the Astros, the Astros were a little bit underwhelming when it came to the final three games of this series. They only scored, they only scored two runs in game three, and they scored one run in game five. They scored six runs in game four, but because Boston just drastically outscored them eight to six in game four. They were not able to pull out that win. So, and that was at home, by the way. That was in Houston. So, with the amount of great catches, great plays that the outfielders for the Red Sox played, they just the Astros just could not score enough in games games three and five to be able to get back to the magic that they had in the first two games. The Astros looked very, very good in the first two games, but they were not able to get back to that place where they looked like a much deeper team than Boston is. But Boston proved that their offense leading the league in scoring runs, on base percentage, batting average, all of that came into play in this series. And it worked for Boston, and their starting pitching came to form even without Chris Sale, who was dealing with a stomach stomach virus that he had to be hospitalized for. Boston is moving on to the World Series for the fourth time in 15 years. How about that? If you talk, if you want to talk about a dynasty, you probably want to start there. I understand that that is a big time frame in so few World Series appearances. But in baseball, it is really hard to reach the World Series. I mean really hard because I spoke about it last week when it's just all about variance. In the baseball playoffs. It's all about variance. And to make it four times. In the last 15 years. That's pretty incredible. That is really really incredible. They're not the New York Yankees. Of the late 90's and early 2000's. But. In today's modern era of baseball. They are probably as close to that as anyone. But that is for the AL side. For the NL side. The. The L.A. Dodgers are on the verge of clinching their spot in the World Series. They play tonight against the Milwaukee Brewers in Game 6 back in Milwaukee. First pitch will be at 8.39 Eastern Time, 7.39 Central Time. The Dodgers the Dodgers are really outlasting the Brewers. They're not, they're not necessarily dominating them, 
because there's really only been two games where either team has dominated, and that would be games three and five, in which games three or game three, the Brewers defeated the Dodgers four to nothing. In game five, the Dodgers defeated the Brewers five to two. And I tweeted about this, uh, I believe it was two nights ago at In The Game Show, where I love watching bullpens go head-to-head, especially great ones like these two teams have. But I would also like to see more offense, and I was I was trying to I was trying to decide which one I want to see more, but I was getting the great offense in the AL. And I was getting great pitching in the NL. So it is the best of both worlds, I suppose. And what I think is happening here with the Milwaukee Brewers specifically is that their lack of starting pitching is really catching up to them. They just cannot hang with the Dodgers enough to be able to last long in these games. Look what happened in the last game. Wade Miley started for the Brewers, and he was pulled after five pitches. He was pulled by Craig Council after five pitches. He decided to go with the bullpen, and it didn't work. It did not work. They could not get the win heading back to Milwaukee to lead the series. And we're seeing it now where just the lack of starting pitching that the Brewers had all year is probably catching up to them, especially given the fact that the Dodgers' main head in the bullpen, Kenley Jansen, seems to be back to form after going through some heart issues in the middle of the year. He seems to have the velocity back. He has the command back. He has the deception with his delivery back where he just changes up his wind-up all of the time. And it seems as if the Dodgers are... They have it together. They're a very, very deep team. They have a lot of bench players that... Any team that is now out of the playoffs or never really entered the playoffs, they would die to have. And I think the Dodgers are going to win this, but they're not going to win it without some controversy. Manny Machado, the great shortstop, a future Hall of Fame shortstop, I think, that is wanting to have a $250 to $300 million deal by the end of this year from whichever team, it doesn't matter if it's the Dodgers or the Cubs or the Nationals or the Yankees, it doesn't matter. He wants that, but he made he has made some pretty scary moments for those teams that want to sign him considering his behavior on the field and his behavior off the field. He slides into game three. He slides into second base in game three, and he reaches out with his hand to try to stop a double play. And that was considered a dirty play. And then in the next game, in game four, which was a 13-inning game, he nicks the, the ankle of Jesus Aguilar, the first baseman for the Brewers, as Machado was running to first base. He just uses his trailing foot to hit the ankle of Aguilar. And Christian Yelich called that, quote, dirty play by a dirty player. Machado was fined 10 grand, and he has done this before. This is Manny Machado's pattern. But this isn't the only thing that is concerning the Dodgers, 
possibly in his concerning other prospective teams that want to sign him. This is what Manny Machado said to Fox's Ken Rosenthal. I'm not the type of player that's going to be Johnny Hustle and run down the line and slide to first base. That's just not my personality. That's not my cup of tea. That's not who I am. Should I have given him a little more effort? 100% I should have, but I didn't, you know, and I got to pay the consequences for it. It does look bad. It looks terrible. That was Ken Rosenthal and Manny Machado on Fox and <laughs> really the Dodgers have got to be sitting there going oh Manny what are you doing what are you doing that is a dumb thing to say and I think in the grand scheme of things in terms of him trying to get that big money contract it's probably not going to matter all that much by the time that these teams sit down with Machado and want to sign him but it does raise a red flag, at least, to these prospective teams that want to sign a Hall of Fame shortstop or a Hall of Fame caliber shortstop in Machado. I get, I get in baseball, in baseball specifically, in an individualized sport that masks itself as a team sport, it's hard for players to, quote-unquote, try harder. You don't really try harder in baseball. That just doesn't work. You either you either make contact with the ball if you're a hitter and you hit it out of the park or you hit it for a base hit and that's it. You use your natural swing and if your natural swing gets figured out by the opposing pitcher, you go back and you make adjustments. That's the version of trying harder. The only time you ever try harder in baseball is when you run the base base the base pads. Easy for me to say, isn't it? That's the only time you ever try harder in baseball. Same thing with a pitcher. You don't try harder to throw instead of a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. You try to throw a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. You either have that velocity or you don't. You either have that velocity behind your delivery or you don't. And I sort of get what Machado may be trying to say in that he he's not Johnny Hustle, as he calls himself, in that... He doesn't hustle on every play because he doesn't want to get hurt, but that's still a little troubling. If I was a GM of either one of these teams that wants to sign Machado or has thoughts about at least talking to him, that really concerns me. But either way, he has put up some pretty good hits for the Dodgers in this NLCS. He has hit a couple of clutch home runs really throughout the playoffs, and He is leading the charge for the Dodgers to make their way into the World Series, and I am really looking forward to it. I know that MLB is looking forward to it because when you have Boston and it looks like the Dodgers are going going to make it to the World Series, you have two big market teams that are going to drive in ratings. I'm not so sure if anyone else is going to be so interested in, in these two teams because they're always there, but I I think I'll enjoy it. I think I will. We're going to see a really good pitching team in the Dodgers go up against a really good offensive team that also has good pitching, but I really tune into the Red Sox to watch them score as many runs as they can. So I do think that's what we're going to see with this World Series. It's going to be the Red Sox against the Dodgers, and I hope everyone else is looking forward to it. And one other thing that I want to touch on concerning baseball is that The Astros this week were accused of stealing signs. They were first accused of this by the Cleveland Indians in their series where they swept them, the Astros did. 
and it was by a guy who is not technically a worker for the Astros. His name is Kyle McLaughlin. He was caught using a cell phone, his own cell phone, and it was directed at the opponent's dugouts, and they they seem to think that the Astros were trying to steal signs. Look, I'm just going to talk briefly on this and say that every team tries to steal signs. They all try to steal signs. I remember when Chris Sale was when he was with a member of the of the Chicago White Sox, he accused the Detroit Tigers of trying to steal signs. That they had a guy in the outfield in center field trying to use binoculars to see what the signs were. Every team does this. Let's be real. Every team tries to do this. They try to steal signs. They try to get an edge. And it's usually never proven. Major League Baseball came out a couple of days ago saying that there's not going to be any penalties against the Astros for these allegations. So every team tries to do this. Does it make it right? No. But, I mean, if you're baseball and you want to try to stop this, you probably should have penalized the Astros. But to me, this is not a big deal. Every team does this. I don't really care. And it wasn't the reason that the Astros won against the Indians because it proved to be ineffective against the Red Sox. Ultimately, they lost in five games. They lost in five games to the Red Sox and apparently stealing signs didn't help them very much. So that's all I have to say about that. It's it's not a huge deal to me where every team does it and I don't think that this really made much headway in terms of any baseball fan that's paying attention. So we'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, we are going to discuss some Nick Bosa news as well as some NBA news before we end the show with our interview with Cristiano Simonetta that we had yesterday that I'll play for you guys. So keep it here. You got in the game. So before the break, I said I wanted to discuss some news that came out of Ohio State, and it seems that I'm always talking about Ohio State on this show, which is a little strange to me, but this was bad news for the Ohio State Buckeyes, but good news for now the former Ohio State Buckeye Nick Bosa, who is also the younger brother of Joey Bosa, the great pass rusher for the LA Chargers. Nick Bosa has decided to leave Ohio State. He withdrew from the school to prepare for the NFL draft after he was dealing with a core injury that he suffered. And he's going to be leaving early to try to prepare for the NFL draft because he doesn't want to risk further injury. And... Maurice Claret came out and said that this was basic common sense, quote-unquote. And I agree. If you're a player and you suffer an injury, like if you're a guy like 
Jalen Smith, for example, where you suffer a devastating knee injury that keeps you out for a long period of time and really no one is sure if you're going to come back and be the player that you were. But that's what the NFL took. One of the teams, they took that risk to see that if Jalen Smith can be the same player that he was before he injured himself heading into the NFL draft. And I think that this is a great thing for NFL or future NFL players to do. You know, the Dallas Cowboys took a risk with Jalen Smith after he suffered a devastating knee injury in his last year at college, his last year at Notre Dame. And it turned out pretty well for them. But this is a this is a different injury, obviously, with Nick Bosa. It's a core injury, it's a core muscle injury. And he has been very, very good for the Ohio State Buckeyes. He really does look like his older brother in terms of his pass rushing ability. But for him to leave the Ohio State Buckeyes to prepare for his future is a really good thing for him. You know, Save yourself. Save yourself for when you get paid millions of dollars and are going to fall in the draft order because you have an injury. While he was at Ohio State for this year, at least, he played three games. He had 11 solo tackles. He had four sacks in three games. Four sacks in three games. It's pretty good. That is pretty good. And in 2017, he had eight and a half sacks. And the year before that, he had five sacks. By the way, those stats indicate those are bull stacks as well, according to sportsreference.com. But yeah, I really like this move by Nick Bosa. This is a move that he is preparing for his future. He's preparing to be like his brother. He doesn't want to be like his brother where he is potentially negotiating a contract with a bunch of offset, offset language that doesn't guarantee him as much money as he wants This is what happened with Roquan Smith, as we discussed earlier in the year with the Chicago Bears. So with Nick Bosa, he has seemingly the same amount of talent, or at least as close to the same amount of talent as his brother. And I think he's going to be a very, very good player for a future NFL team. So good for him. Good for him for leaving early and just preparing for his future where he's going to earn millions of dollars and don't risk it by injuring yourself in college where they really don't give a damn about you. So we'll move on from that, and I want to discuss briefly NBA opening week. There's a lot of storylines heading into this NBA season that I am very excited for, starting with the L.A. Lakers. LeBron James is an L.A. Laker the Lakers lost last night to the Portland Trail Blazers 128 to 119, but LeBron's first points as a Laker were via a tomahawk dunk. How fitting. I kind of like seeing him in the gold and purple. It's kind of fun for me. But I mean, he, he and the Lakers are not going to make much headway in the West. I really don't think so. When you have the Rockets who now have Carmelo Anthony, the Warriors are still there. They look like they're in midseason form as they just crushed the Thunder in their opening game at home where they got their rings and they and they lifted a banner. I mean, the, the West is going to be fun with all of these star players. The Thunder do obviously still have Russell Westbrook, but... 
they're not going to do anything. <laughs> I don't really, I'm really struggling to see how they're going to be better than the Lakers. To be honest with you, I think the Lakers will end up in the playoffs, but they're not going to, they're not going to make it to the conference finals. There's no shot of that. So it's still going to be fun to watch LeBron in the purple and gold, but it's going to be a long time before he is able to turn the Lakers into a real winner. But something else that I wanted to discuss was the Celtics. They look really, really good. They look really good, and they looked really good against a formidable Philadelphia 76ers team. But the Celtics, the Celtics have just great scores and guys like Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward, who's now back. Kyrie Irving is is back and healthy. I mean, the Lakers defeated the Sixers 105-87 in their opening game. And this is a team that is going to be the best in the East. I don't think that they are going to be the best team in the league. They could be the third, second best team in the league, and that that is obviously going to get them in the NBA Finals, I think, when you have a bad Eastern Conference. But, yes, you do have Jason Tatum. You have Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, Jalen Brown, uh, Terry Rozier, who played some pretty good basketball for them last year. They're not going to be able to top the Warriors. They're not going to be able to top the Rockets, I don't think. I don't think they're going to be better than the Rockets. That's why I think they'll be the third best team in the league. So given that, this is still going to be a fun basketball season. For me personally, the team that I will be monitoring the most, again because of the proximity to which I broadcast the show or record the show, I should say, is going to be the Chicago Bulls and they're just absolutely terrible defensive play. Or It's really not terrible, it's just... Lack of trying on defense. They are going to be a bottom-of-the-league defense, and when you have a bottom-of-the-league defense, you're going to be probably one of the three or five worst teams in the NBA. So this seems like another tanking year for the Bulls. But I digress a little bit. I still am going to keep a close eye on the NBA. I'm very excited that basketball is back. I hope you all are as well. We're going to have a lot of basketball talk on this show. Very much looking forward to that. But we'll take our final time out of this show. When we get back, I will play the interview I had yesterday with Cristiano Simonetta, who is the former play-by-play hockey announcer for Illini Hockey. He has been a columnist and writer for the NHL, including covering teams like the Blues and the Blackhawks. So very much looking forward to having you guys hear that. I had a lot of a lot of fun interviewing him. He and I worked together when we were both at U of I and we broadcasted Illini hockey games. I had so much fun working with him. So much fun. I did color commentary for those games. That was a lot of fun. And I I, I spliced in a few of my own play-by-play commentary into those games when he was working some other jobs as a member of Illini Hockey Broadcasting. He is a man that is very good at what he does, and he's very knowledgeable about hockey and all things NHL. So very much looking forward to that next on In the Game. Kuznetsov fakes the drive and pivots. A terrific passer. Will he shoot? He does. Off the glove. Rebound. Score! It's Niskanen. It's an overtime winner for the Capitals. 
in the Florida Everblades, where it all started, where I realized like hockey is something I can really get into. And then I said hockey gonna be something I absolutely love because the fans is crazy, the players is crazy, the games is fast, the game is not. Listen. NFL players, I don't know if y'all can hang with the NHL players, because that's a different kind of tough. That's like a woman walking and giving birth at the same time. That's the kind of strength them hockey players got. The coordination level? Imagine trying to fix a Rubik's Cube while piranhas are biting your lower endowment and you not flinching at all. Coordination, a stick, skates, puck at the same damn time. <laughs> Yes, that is exactly what it's like. Where where you get your lower endowment bitten and are fighting with piranhas and are also trying to walk and give birth at the same time. That is exactly what hockey is like. That's why I love hockey so much. And here to talk hockey with me is our guest for today's show. He is a former play-by-play man for Fighting Illini Hockey. He has been a writer, a columnist for the NHL. He is Cristiano Simonetta. Cristiano, how are you? Doing good, Luke. Yeah, I couldn't have described uh, the game of hockey and the skill set it takes to, you know, be successful in it better than that. So I think that guy hit her, uh, hit the nail right on the head there. Yeah, I should mention that it was Josh Prey, a YouTube comedian. And yeah, uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to walk and give birth at the same time, but I imagine that's how hockey feels. Yeah, you know, when you're blocking a 100-mile-an-hour uh, slap shot like Sammy Sallow, the Vancouver Canucks, a couple of years ago. That's right. Took a, Took a bit of a sacrifice there, so I mean, uh, walking and giving birth, I guess that's a pretty good comparison. I don't think that either of us will have to go through that anytime soon, though. Uh, yeah, right my lower endowment. What, what's an upper endowment? <laughs> I wonder. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but Cristiano, I'm very happy to have you on because this has been... This has been an interesting start to the NHL season. I'm I'm really curious as to what you think is the biggest surprise so far for this for the start of the NHL season. Like what has emerged as surprising in both good and bad? I guess we'll start off with the good, and I think the New Jersey Devils, they've only played four games this year, but they've only allowed four goals, and I think that's large in part to John Hines, the head coach of the Devils, his defensive game plan, but as well as Keith Kincaid, the goaltender for the New Jersey Devils. It's always been Corey Schneider over the past couple of years, but Keith Kincaid has came in, and since March 11th, of 2018, he's 11-0-1 in the regular season. He's already got two shutouts this year, and Taylor Hall, Kyle Palmieri, Kyle Palmieri already has seven goals this season in four games. It's not the guy that you would look to as in terms of a superstar in the NHL, but he has had an incredible start to the season. Taylor Hall has been a primary assist man there. Will Butcher, Sammy Votnin on the back end, as well as Brian Boyle being a nice guy in the bottom six. Miles Wood, too, who got a nice scrap with his uh, former, I guess, childhood icon and Alex Ovechkin when the Capitals played the Devils. But then they got young guys like Nico Heischer, Mirko, uh, Mirko Mueller. I mean, Travis Ajak, the veteran presence. You can go up and down this roster, and a team that made the playoffs last year, I don't think they had the biggest expectations coming into the 2018-19 season just because a lot of people may have thought that it was a, a lucky get into the tough Eastern Conference playoffs. But four games out of the gate, and I think they've done a great job. But then you flip it on the other side, which team has been the most disappointing this year? It's got to be the St. Louis Blues, and it's not just because of my uh, affiliation with that team that I've covered them the past uh, six or seven years, but because 
this is a team in the Western Conference that you thought had won the NHL free agent offseason, acquiring Ryan O'Reilly, signing Patrick Maroon, bringing in young guys like Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. And they have not been able to put the pieces together, one, three, and two so far this season. And last night's loss against the Montreal Canadiens is probably the epitome of how their season has gone so far. A turnover in their own zone with under 10 seconds to go, and Brendan Gallagher taps it in with basically one hand on its stick, robbing the Blues of one or possibly two more points if that game goes into overtime. And they're, they're looking in circles at each other right now, wondering how long is Mike Yo's leash? He's been the head coach for now. This is his second full season, and a lot of Blues fans are already jumping ship and saying, all right, we've got to get something uh, going and maybe fire this guy. But to be honest, I think there's still more room to grow with that uh, organization of over the next two or three weeks before we get into that type of conversation. But obviously the St. Louis Blues, who have a very uphill battle in the tough central division, already find themselves uh, down in the standings. Well, let's talk a little bit about those two teams that you briefly mentioned in the New Jersey Devils. What's interesting about them is that they have the highest goal differential right now in the Eastern Conference at a plus 13. I did not expect that. They are only scoring 17 goals for the for the start of this year. They've played four games. Yeah, four games and have scored 17 goals. That's that's pretty good. But yeah, you know, it seems to me, Cristiano, that with the Blues I'm not sure if they really have much of an identity anymore. They used to be this this really good defensive team that's also a big bruising team and they, and that they would be able to create scoring chances for guys like Vladimir Tarasenko, but it, it just seems to me that they are that they're just a little bit too redundant at this point where they're where there's just not enough scoring depth outside of Tarasenko. Is that what I'm seeing when it comes to the Blues? I think this year it's a bit different. Uh, I think it comes in question to their defense. Like you alluded to, their identity of being such a tightly contested team in the middle area of the ice, in the neutral zone, as well as the deep slot and the, the high slot, the offensive zone. And St. Louis just hasn't had that. They are instilling a man-to-man defense throughout all three zones, and that leads to a lot of fire drills, if you will, guys chasing each other around forwards having to play defense below the goal line and that leads to a lot of mismatches and Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane have already exploited that in the two matchups that the Blackhawks have played against the Blues this season I don't think it's the goal scoring that is the biggest problem for this team because they've only scored 17 goals in six games but they've had the offense there their power play is one of the best in the league they've actually scored the most power play goals tied with Toronto and it's a matter of accountability. I think this team maybe thought that they were too good on paper and that they didn't need to work in the beginning games. I mean, you get Tyler Bozak, you get Pat Maroon, you trade for Ryan O'Reilly, and you've got this star-studded depth down the middle that you haven't seen in St. Louis in quite a long time. While the defensive core has stayed relatively the same, adding a guy in Vince Dunn who's in his second professional year and who has played very well, he found himself as a healthy scratch the other night. (laughs) He comes back. He's on the top power play, and he scores a goal last night against Montreal. So obviously there are some pieces to be moved around on the back end as well as the coaching scheme because St. Louis just looks way too uh, disproportionate in their defensive zone. And also Jake Allen has to help out his team once again. Last night, Max Domi's goal in the first 39 seconds of the game is one you have to have, and that also swings the tide in terms of momentum for a team struggling to get going. 
Another team that, for me, has been a little bit surprising so far has been the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, they are they are the conventional they're we're going to try to win with speed we're going to try to win with the amount of talent that we have in terms of goal scoring when it comes to guys like uh you know Steven Stamkos, Tyler Johnson, Nikita Kucherov, but they have been a little bit underwhelming in terms of their goal scoring. They've only scored 15 goals, granted they've only played 4 games, but I probably expected them to be close to the goals for category that closer to being with the Maple Leafs than they are with the New Jersey Devils. Are they a little bit surprising to start the season? I think they are. They're a team that always finds ways to win and head coach Cooper, you know, he's such a he's such a very diligent boss behind the bench, really instilling offense first, but also defensive accountability. And I think Tyler Johnson and Braden Point have really exemplified those two facts from John Cooper because Tyler Johnson already has five points to three games this season, Braden Point four points through four. But like you mentioned, Nikita Kudrov, he's only found the back in that once. You have Alex That's stunning Korn to me. Through four games. Exactly, because I think that Kucherov's wrist shot is very dangerous, alike to Vladimir Tarasenko's, alike to Alex Ovechkin's. And I think it's really just going to come. It's not for a lack of trying, though. He's got eight shots through four games, and a lot of them were blocked as well. But... To your point, Luke, yes, I think with Steven Stamkos, a minus one through four games, only one point, he's had a bit of a slower start than he'd like. But a guy like Yanni Gord coming up from the AHL a couple of years ago, already four points through four games, I think he's a younger guy who can really fit the mold in that Eastern Conference club that really preaches speed throughout all three zones. But I don't really think that this is a team to worry about per se, but I understand your concern because Andre Vasilevsky is arguably going to be a Vezina, a Vezina Trophy candidate this season. He may actually win it. He has a 1.64 goals against average through three games, 96 saves, so a .950 save percentage. He's going to be their backbone. It doesn't matter if the team can't score. It doesn't matter if the defense is falters under pressure. Vasilevsky is going to be the guy who will determine how far this team will go. And through the first couple of weeks, I think that he's done an A-plus job, and Tampa Bay should be able to find themselves up in the standings of the Eastern Conference, barring any injuries. But even then, they traded so many guys away last year. They only missed the playoffs by a couple points uh, two years ago, excuse me, when they traded away Ben Bishop. So I think it's the coaching staff that's going to be able to really uh, put these guys together and, and form their own identity. But I think they've done a solid job so far. And I should mention that people can follow you on Twitter at CMS underscore 74 underscore. Cristiano always puts out some great media when, if you're a hockey fan, he puts together things like, uh, this is what happened on this play. So be sure to give him a follow if you're a big hockey guy. But as far as the Lightning are concerned, do you think that what has been happening with Steve Eiserman in the last few months or so where he has announced that he is going to be stepping down as the Lightning general manager after this season with only one year left on his contract. Do you think that has played a role in any fashion reform? I think it really sends a message to the Tampa Bay Lightning that you've got to understand how you're going to, I guess we say the, the phrase identity often throughout our brief conversation so far, but that's basically what it comes down to. Steve Eiserman has been a general manager who has been very aggressive. He hasn't been afraid to dish guys out that he doesn't see fit in that roster, and we don't know where he's going either. A lot of people want to rumor and, and talk about he may be going back to his old stomping grounds in Detroit. Ken Holland's the GM over there right now, but 
for Tampa Bay, I think if you apply the same level of commitment that Iserman did, I mean, he completely transformed the Lightning into a top NHL franchise. A lot of guys want to play in Tampa Bay because of his decision-making and how he manages his club. Look at Ryan McDonough. Do you think Ryan McDonough goes to a team like the Lightning if they're not well-organized? He's a guy who's been looking for a Stanley Cup his entire career, left the New York Rangers, who had some pieces there, could never put it together, although Henrik Lundqvist has tried his absolute heart to make that happen. He moves to a rival in the Lightning. I don't think you see that happen in any other situation unless it's the guy like uh, head coach Cooper or Steve Eisenman as a GM. So it's going to be an interesting period for the Tampa Bay Lightning to see how they adjust to losing a general manager such as him. One of the teams that we heard, or actually the, the team that we heard at the top of this interview was the Washington Capitals, the now defending Stanley Cup champions. I can't believe I'm saying that about the Capitals, but they now have a new coach in Todd Reardon after losing Barry Trotz. And they seem to be in midseason form, but not all the way there. I think they've struggled a little bit defensively, even though they still have amazing offensive talent. They, of course, lost Jay Beagle to the Vancouver Canucks, I believe, who is a really good penalty killer for them and a good quality depth center. Are the Capitals still Stanley Cup contenders at this point? Again, granted, it's well, early. <laughs> you can look back at their start last season. They were 4-6-2 and two in October. Yep. And they lost 8-2, to 4-1, to 6-2, and 5-2 to two in four of those losses. They were a team that you thought, oh my goodness, Alex Ovechkin is wasting another year of his prime in D.C. But we know in the game of hockey that all it takes is you got to get into the playoffs. you got to have a couple of solid months towards the end of the year and anything can happen. So definitely, I think this team has all the skills. They have all the guys ready, all the gunners on the offensive side. I mean, Alex Ovechkin. Two goals last night looked the exact same from the left circle on the power play. His office. We talked about Gretzky's office behind the goal, but Alex Ovechkin has done an incredible job of manning that left dot and shoot the puck through goalies, through sticks, through bodies, and nobody's been able to defend it. And I think it's a ridiculous goal. Off topic here, but I think Alex Ovechkin is going to pass Wayne Gretzky for the most goals scored in the National Hockey League. Wow. He's only. He's just under 300 away, and I think if he averages, I think John Butchergross put this stat out last night from ESPN, if he averages 36 goals for the next, I think, six or seven seasons, he'll be able to do it when he's 40 years old. And I think that House Ovechkin, who has hit 50 several times in his career, will be able to do that. And this year, he showed no signs of slowing down. T.J. Oshie has elevated his game. And if Evgeny Kuznetsov, that guy is a Hart Trophy candidate. And when you have Brady and Holpe in that, anything, the sky's the limit for this team. And it, it was surprising that they could never put it together in the postseason. But, you know, they finally were able to snatch away that curse, that dreaded uh, they'll never get past the first round, they'll never be able to beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, they were able to smash all those narratives to dust as they hoisted Lord Stanley last June. Let me, let me mark down 345. Cristiano Simonetta says Ovechkin's going to score more goals than the great one. And said, no, I'm not going to do that. But that's quite that's quite a take. That would be very fun to see, I think, if we see a modern season that is comparable to Gretzky. But, Cristiano, I think I'd be a little bit remiss if I didn't if I didn't talk to you about the 
hockey team that I am more familiar with than any other because of the proximity that I do the show in, and that'd be the Chicago Blackhawks. They are they are a little bit surprising to me. They're the only team in the Western Conference that has not had a regulation loss, and of course, they're getting back Corey Crawford tonight against the Phoenix Coyotes, or the Arizona Coyotes, I'm sorry, I'm still back in 2011, but uh, they get him back after a 10-month absence due to concussion problems. The Blackhawks seem to have more speed. They have more goal scoring. Their defense still worries me. With Corey Crawford coming back, how far can the Blackhawks go this year? I think looking at the team from a cosmetic point right now, I think they'll be able to make the playoffs if Corey Crawford plays up to his potential. I mean, he was keeping them in games last year where they had no business being in. And you look over the past couple of seasons, as a career goaltender in the National Hockey League, Corey Crawford's goals against average, 2.37. Cam Ward's goals against average this season with the Blackhawks, 4.06. And somehow this team has not lost in regulation. They've gone to overtime. In each of their five games, they're the first team in NHL history to do that. And Crawford's coming off a 16-9-2 season, but the years before that, I believe he has five straight seasons with 30 or more wins. It doesn't matter what defense you put in front of Corey Crawford. He has cemented himself as an elite goaltender, and this is coming from someone who berated Crawford in the 2013 Stanley Cup against Boston, who I thought almost lost them the the series there and could have robbed the Blackhawks of a second Stanley Cup during the Kane and Taser at the time. All we heard was glove side, glove side, glove side. That's all we heard. But it was for a good reason, but he was able to calm himself down and be a more positionally sound goaltender. And, I mean, I think that the Blackhawks can do a lot with this offense that they possess. And this is without Brandon Saad going the way that he can. I think if Brandon Saad, who may be a healthy scratch in the next couple of games, he's going to play tonight against Arizona. Head coach Joe Quimble wasn't too sure about that fact a couple of days ago. But with Jonathan Taze, Alex DeBrinkett, Patrick Kane, Artem Anisimov, I think, is going to score 20 goals again if he stays healthy. They're a team in the West that can surprise a lot of people. Last year, a lot of uh, pundits and fans alike could say that the Blackhawks were regressing and that they're not going to be able to get that spark that they had in 2015 back again. But really, they were just a couple of, of wrong plays, wrong defensive coaching styles away from getting back into the playoffs. And like I mentioned with the Washington Capitals, all you have to do is get into the postseason and anything can happen. I mean, we saw it with the Los Angeles Kings when they won their first cup as the eighth seed. We saw it with the Mighty Ducks in 2003 upsetting the Detroit Red Wings in the first round of the playoffs back then. I think the Hawks can go deep if Corey Crawford is able to stay healthy, but I don't think that he's going to be able to turn this team to a Stanley Cup contender just because of his presence, but I think it's a noticeable upgrade. Even though Cam Ward has been stellar in those first five games despite having that goals against the average of over four. Last one I have for you, Cristiano, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, my God. That is hockey porn when you watch them. They are just scoring at every angle, at every every part of the ice. And Austin Matthews and John Tavares are just – they're just lighting up the goal lamp whenever they get a shot. And I really, really loved watching them against the Chicago Blackhawks. And I believe that was a week ago, week and a half ago, something like that. And – that was as entertaining of a game as I can remember. This Maple Leafs team looks 
extremely good. Are they still, even though, again, it's still very early in the season, are they still the front runners to be Stanley Cup winners? Well, I can tell you firsthand, I was at that game in uh, Chicago against the Leafs, and that was one of the best regular season games I've seen in my entire life. And Lucky I've been going to a lot of hockey games since I was a little kid. So obviously this team, I think, is for real. Whenever you have a coach like Mike Babcock behind the bench, you're going to get 110% out of that effort. But then you get John Tavares, a top player, a MVP-type guy. You bring him over to his hometown club. You combine him with Mitch Marner. I mean, you've got Kasperi Kapanen, who's a young guy on this team. And we haven't even started talking about Patrick Marlowe. Morgan Riley, who has been on a tear, 13 points in seven games. But it all comes down to number 34, Austin Matthews, 16 points in seven games, 10 goals. I'm just mad that the Olympics aren't affiliated with the NHL as of this point because a Team USA lineup with Patrick Kane, Jack Eichel, and Austin Matthews leading the charge, that would be as great as Canada is and Sweden. I think the USA can give them a run for their money, but that's neither here nor there. Back to your question. (laughs) The Leafs are a team where they can score at will, but they have to defend a little better. I think Jake Gardner's got more to his game. Ron Haynes, he's a, a veteran guy who won a Stanley Cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins that can uh, lead to a lot more in Toronto in an extended role. But Frederick Anderson, he has to become that guy. He has to become the Andre Vasilevsky. He has to become the Corey Crawford. We saw him play the Chicago Blackhawks as a member of the Anaheim Ducks in 2015 mm-hmm. in the Western Conference Final. He could have brought that team to a Stanley Cup, but there were spurts throughout that series where he was very weak. And I think in the Boston series, too, he had his fair share of blunders last year with the Leafs. But through seven games this year, the Toronto Maple Leafs have to be your favorite, generally just because of the way that they put the puck in the back of the net. It's not like the Dallas Stars of a couple years ago when they first got Spezza, and it was Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, and that was their only line. You've got Austin Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Kapanen, Marlowe, even a guy like Zach Hyman. And don't forget, Nathan Kadri is a bottom six player on this club. I think if you put him in the Western Conference, he would have a top six role on a handful of those clubs, especially in the Central Division, who would love to have that depth down the middle. It's just a fun time to be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Not something you could have said five years ago. But this team is one on the rise and trying to end that drought since 1967 for sure. It's always fun when we see more original six teams become contenders, and that is what it's looking like right now. Cristiano, thank you so much for joining us on In the Game. Hope to talk to you again very soon. It's going to be a fun hockey season. Absolutely, Luke. Thanks for having me on. I'll be happy to come on anytime. All right, awesome. That is Cristiano Simonetta. He is a, well, he was a play-by-play guy for Illini Hockey. He has been a writer and a columnist for the NHL. And you can follow him on Twitter at CMS underscore 74 underscore. That is going to do it for this edition of In the Game. Want to thank the guests that we had today, which was Cristiano Semenetta. Want to thank MLB, TBS, Fox, NHL, NBC Sports, Net, and Josh Prey for the audio that we had today. We will be back next Thursday where we will discuss all things in sports, all the craziness that's going to happen. We are going to possibly get the World Series decided, or not possibly, we are definitely going to get the World Series decided by next week. It's going to be a fun World Series So until next time, we thank you for listening to In The Game. You can follow us on Twitter at In The Game Show. I'm Luke Shakota saying be sure to keep your heads in the game.